0: and we're live welcome back everybody to a new episode of the wheelie podcast i'm your host mike atoll and i'm joined by Electrex seth weintraub how's it going seth i'm good awesome and we have a pile of interesting news stories this week in the e-bike space we've got a number of cargo related e-bikes that have been released as well as a cool ride-by-wire system there's a wild new seated electric scooter that'll do 50 miles an hour We just learned that Arkimoto has gotten a stay of execution, so their funky three-wheeled electric vehicles are going to be around for a while. There's a new electric uh, UTV, and we're going to talk about a fun electric boat that I ordered from Alibaba that actually showed up. But uh, before we get there, (laughs) we're going to start off in the e-bike space. Where are we uh, starting today, Seth?
1: All right. The game-changing electric expedition launched as an affordable electric cargo bike
0: this is such a huge deal. And I know each e-bike launch, we're like, whoa, cool new e-bike. But this one, this is like the real game changer here. And uh, I I think the biggest thing here is just the sort of quality for price. Now, Electric is not known for making high-end e-bikes, and you can't say that this bike is high-end either. But at $13.99, you get a lot in this cargo bike. Basically, this will do most of what a um, you know a, a rad wagon, a Blix pack, uh, all these other sort of like two thousand to twenty five hundred dollar um, cargo bikes will do, but in a much more affordable package. It's also got better parts than a lot of these other bikes. It's got hydraulic disc brakes, which a lot of cargo e bikes still don't have. It's got a two battery option. That second battery will cost you an extra uh, three hundred dollars, but even that is kind of a steal for a second uh, six hundred and fifty or so watt hour battery. Um, It gets up to 28 miles an hour, so it's a Class 3 e-bike, and it's got really nice pedal assist because they actually did something a little different here. It does have a cadence sensor, which is not a fancy uh, pedal assist sensor. It just bases its pedal assist on your speed, but what they did differently was the programming for that um, pedal assist sensor. So basically, instead of having speed steps where normally, you know, you'd be in like pedal assist level one, it would take you maybe 10 miles an hour and level two would take you to 15. Instead, they did the programming based on wattage. So it actually limits your wattage to, you know, like maybe 200 watts on level one, 300 watts on level two, that sort of thing, all the way up to 750 watts of continuous power. And so that way, when you're pedaling on a higher pedal assist level, it doesn't just rocket you up to a really fast speed, you can still pedal at a slower speed and it just gives you more power. So it's it's almost like a torque sensor in that sense. It's kind of a pseudo torque sensor feeling, um, at least in terms of the speed. What it doesn't do is it doesn't give you immediate pedal assist right on startup because it's, it's still a cadence-based sensor. And so it has the disadvantage that you got to get like a pedal rotation or so until it can read how fast you're pedaling. But for $13.99 or $16.99 for the dual battery version, you really get a lot here for the price, which in my opinion is just going to open the door to so many more people that wanted a cargo bike they wanted to be able to do things that they maybe normally took the car out of the garage for go grocery shopping take the kids down the block to the park that sort of thing but they weren't prepared to lay out two thousand twenty five hundred bucks for a uh, a cargo bike and especially if you compare it to those really nice cargo bikes like we could often talk about the turn gsd as one of the just you know like creme de la creme of uh, cargo bikes again nowhere near the the quality here with electric expedition but for maybe a quarter of the price of those really nice bikes you get perhaps 75 to 80 percent of the functionality so I think this is just a huge deal what do you think about the bike set
1: I love the look of it um you know i do I do notice that uh, the front cable coming out kind of wide to the left there um, and I just wonder you know this is we we of course love electric bikes. You know they're always like undercutting kind of the mainstream uh, prices, but um, you know, I guess it's like the the fit and finish. Like, is this you know closer to a turn GSD or is this closer to like you know an uh, a bike you would find on Amazon for like six hundred bucks?
0: right yeah it's i would say it's somewhere nicely in the middle it's Mm -hmm. it's nowhere near the quality of a gsd you know um turn they they work with uh, i think german labs to just like crazy torture test their bikes and i think you could like you know park a truck on the back half of a turn gsd kind of thing and so um even though the electric uh expedition here has a really high weight rating i think they say up to like 450 pounds i doubt that they're going to the lengths that some of the, you know, higher end cargo bike companies are going to test and really engineer for those super high weights. So, you know, it's, it's not going to be the same quality. And I don't want anyone to think that like you're getting a turn GSD for cheap here, but it's definitely a step above those Amazon bikes. And you can tell it's, it's much better thought out. You know, it doesn't feel like a collection of parts. It feels like they actually designed a very nice bike here um, for, for super heavy cargo use, not necessarily heavy in weight, but just like, you know, if every day you're, um, you know, doing delivery on a bike or every day you're taking your kids to school, I still would probably recommend like, if not a Turn GSD, then maybe one of their uh, more affordable bikes like the HSD or Quick Haul. But for like casual cargo riders that, you know, want to go grocery shopping a few times a week or have the option of taking their kids sometimes, I think this is really a, a nice step up from a, a cheap bike that still gives you the functionality of a, of a nicer bike.
1: Yeah. And you said it's class three. It's got a throttle. Um, it's got, what are those three inch wheels?
0: Yeah, they're uh three inch tires. So again, it's that sort of nice compromise, not super fat, but a little more moto feeling.
1: Yeah. And does that, does this uh, also like stack on its side or on its back? Uh, like a GSD? No,
0: no. yeah, I, I wish it, it did. That, that it kind of look cool.
1: looks like it could uh, like the back kind of look, and I guess it's kind of on a, on an angle. They
0: yeah, didn't want to copy well,
1: that much, I guess.
0: Yeah, I I wonder if that's patented because I've never seen anyone do that besides Turn. So, I wonder yeah, it seems really that. useful. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Anyway, uh looks like a fantastic bike. Uh when are these available?
0: They're actually already available for pre-order and I believe they start shipping in about 2 weeks.
1: Interesting. And um you uh where where was this that you
0: uh reviewed it? So, uh, most of this was filmed in Florida, but I okay. also got a chance to test it out in Phoenix, uh, where I did some crazy hill climbing and yeah, I saw that um, I that video. Exactly. Yeah. So that was a great chance to just feel how ridiculously torquey this thing is, which is exactly what you want on a cargo bike.
1: Nice. All right. I'll, I want to check that one out too. Hopefully those are around for, uh, for everyone soon. All right. And kind of the other end of the spectrum, uh, Trek unveils two kid-carrying electric cargo bikes, and they sure look familiar.
0: Yeah. So this actually came out uh, a few days before the expedition. And my implication in that they look familiar was that the um, the long tail bike here that we're looking at was sort of like a, uh, a longer edition of the GSD in terms of being a high-quality mid-drive uh, cargo bike. And then the second model they unveiled, which is a front loader, um, I think they're often called uh, Bakfiets or Bakfiets, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly. It's a, a Dutch word that the Dutch are real big on these front loader cargo bikes. Um, and so it's two you know, very different styles of two-wheeled cargo bikes, but um, both very popular models that we're starting to see a lot more of. And so this was Trek's first uh, cargo e-bike collection they've done cargo uh pedal bikes uh, acoustic bikes before but uh, this is their first stab at the electric ones and they look great i mean they're expensive right so the um long tail one we're looking at here this is the uh fetch plus two i think that's uh somewhere north of six thousand dollars if i'm not mistaken and then the uh front loader is like eight and a half or nine thousand dollars so we're talking about really expensive bikes here but obviously, they're coming from a company that doesn't mess around when it comes to quality. Trek is not going to, you know, shortchange people or save a couple bucks here or there. They build very nice quality bikes. So again, these are like for the type of people who use their bike every day as a replacement for a car and need to make sure that it's the kind of quality that you can depend on it day in and day out, thirty miles a day kind of thing.
1: Yeah, and they both look like bikes we've seen before, um, as you mentioned in the title, um, the the long tail one obviously kind of reminds us a little bit of the turn GSD as we were talking about with electric it's interesting how many different bike companies are going with this form factor like they turn really kind of hit it out of the park with that
0: one yeah and the long tail I think that it's really attractive for a lot of companies because it's just a lot more affordable to produce if you compare it to that front loader I mean the front loader it's got long steering linkage you either need Cables or um, like a steering tube to uh, transfer the um, steering torque up to the front. Uh, they have very different load requirements, and so it's there's a lot more that goes into producing those. Whereas the long tails, we see a lot more of those because it just seems like a, a lot easier to produce with the same components, um, slightly different welding jigs, but a lot more familiar to companies.
1: Yeah, and um, you know, obviously, the these companies think that the market is, you know, ripe uh, for more uh, different varieties. Um, So you're thinking high-end, obviously, if you're thinking Trek. What would make you pick this, um, talking about the Fetch Plus 2 here, over a Turn GSD?
0: So this is uh, a little bit bigger than a GSD. The thing that I personally like about the Turn GSD is that it's a heavy hauling bike, but it's fairly compact. So, you know, if you have it in an apartment, which I live in a city, so I'm often thinking of, you know, someone who doesn't have a garage, then it's a lot easier to fit into an elevator. It's a lot easier to park in your living room if you needed to. Um, Like you mentioned, they can actually stand on their tail straight up and down like a coat rack kind of thing in the corner of the room. So in that sense, as an urban rider, I definitely see advantages of uh, bikes like Turn's smaller cargo bikes But for someone who has the garage space and wants an even longer bike, I think you could probably get, like, three kids on the back of the uh, Fetch Plus 2. I mean, they show two there with that nice um, corral thing to hold the kids in. But if you just put, like, uh, bench pads on there, Uh I wouldn't be surprised getting, you know, a family of four up there.
1: Yeah, wow. Uh, That is pretty cool. Um, And, of course, uh, we know Trek has a, you know, extensive network of bike shops that – sell and service them so you're you know i, I know turn also has uh, quite a few uh bike shops as well but you know perhaps you're close to a truck shop and you want to get those you know wheels tightened and everything done just right um so that maybe makes a little bit more sense um has trek uh, have we talked to trek about getting uh uh loaners to to test
0: We haven't yet. These are brand new. I'm not sure that they're going to be available until um, later in the spring or early summer, but uh, we definitely need to get these into our testing lineup for sure.
1: Yeah, definitely want to check those out. All right, uh, moving on, uh, we're going to talk about the radical new ride-by-wire electric bike drivetrain with no chains or belts, and it begins production.
0: This one we actually covered when it was first announced about a year and a half ago. Uh, It's called the Free Drive from a German designer called Schaeffler. And it's a really interesting system because it's essentially a series hybrid, but for a bicycle. So most electric bicycles would be considered what uh, you call a parallel hybrid. So you can either pedal it or you can use the electric drivetrain or you can do both, but they're independent. In this case... Uh, creating a sort of ride-by-wire system is a series hybrid, so there's no mechanical connection between the pedals and the wheels. Instead, there's actually a motor at the pedals, which you're turning, so it creates a generator, and you're actually generating electricity. That gets uh, transferred to a motor that powers the wheels through wires. So uh, instead of a mechanical connection, it's all done electronically, or I guess electrically in that sense because you're transferring electrical power. And it sounds kind of odd because it's like, all right, you know, we've had pedal drivetrains for, you know, over a century and they work pretty well. So why would you want to replace that? Well, the interesting thing about this setup is that it's really great for cargo bikes where having to plan around a pedal drivetrain really limits the design of cargo bikes, especially um, cargo trikes with big cargo boxes on the back. Because you either have to create a tunnel for a really long chain drive to get back there where you have to have the cargo box up higher so that it's above the chain. And if you have a drive-by-wire system, you don't have to plan for any physical drivetrain. You can have a really low cargo box in the back, or you can uh, completely delete the tunnel. And it just gives you so much more freedom to design the physical proportions of the bike when all you have to do is route you know, electrical wires somewhere around the bike. So it's certainly going to open up interesting doors to designers. And now a year and a half after we originally broke the news, it's exciting to see that it is finally entering production. And they've announced that they've already got cargo bikes uh, or cargo bike companies that have um, you know, signed up to be the first to use this system. So we're actually going to see this entering the market on some European cargo bikes, hopefully in the near future. And I'll be fascinated to see what this design allows them to do with the engineering of the bike now that they have fewer constraints on the um you know sort of hardware design of of creating these cargo bikes,
1: yeah, we were talking about um way back then uh when we saw this initially, like, hey, this is gonna open up a lot of doors for bike designers, not just in cargo bikes but also you know coming maybe recumbent bikes instead of r- running a chain you know from the tip of your toes all the way back to the the drive wheels, maybe you just have one of these at the you know the front of a recumbent bike. And uh, the wires transfer the electricity back. The obvious downside is that um, the turning of the power of your legs into electricity and then back into power to the motor or back into the battery, there's a lot of inefficiency there. So what are we thinking? You're losing about 20 to 30 percent of the power that you're throwing in there?
0: Yeah, probably it's it's rare to see e-bike motors above ninety percent efficient. So losing you know ten percent at the generator and then another ten percent at the um, you know motor end, uh, I think would be probably the best they could do. I mean, this is a German design, so I imagine they're going to be using you know the highest efficiency that they can do. But still, it's it's not going to win on any efficiency competition.
1: Yeah, but I mean, when when you take into consideration that you're always going to be at your optimal or close to your optimal pedal speed and torque and that you can create all these you know maybe more aerodynamic or more uh efficient drive systems i, I think this is really kind of a big deal um and i hope that you know that these companies keep going with it i mean you know we we talked about when we were riding around the uh the uh, cargo bike i think there was like a huge thing in the back like a you know, an SUV type of, uh, carrier and like our pedal, our pedaling wasn't contributing a lot of the electricity to moving that thing around. Um, it was more like the pedaling was a, um, kind of like a throttle, so to speak. So, you know, you have your arms, uh, for steering and, you know, turn signals and stuff and your legs moving, were just kind of just like telling the vehicle to go forward and not really you know, adding much to the whole power equation. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. That's, so, um, sorry, go on.
1: No, no, I, I just, uh, you know, trying to set the expectation there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, it's an interesting point, because it also speaks to why, even if you're losing some efficiency here, the fact that it's still an e-bike means that you you kind of make up for the the loss of efficiency, for example, if maybe it's 20% less efficient, and you've got a thousand watt hour battery if you just put a 1200 watt hour battery in there you've kind of made up for those efficiency losses simply by putting a few more battery cells there
1: right and you know theoretically down the road um, we've seen some bikes that uh, you can actually stay in one place and pedal and actually charge up the battery a little bit um, those those are the kind of design ideas you could do with this where you know maybe you're just trying to get some exercise and uh, hanging out at home you could charge up your battery that way. A lot of a lot of different interesting options with something like this.
0: Yeah, for sure. It also uh, finally gives us the chance to say um, that you have an, an e bike that charges when you pedal it. Because so many people always ask when they see an e bike, "Oh, does it charge when you pedal it?" So here's one that that finally does. And it looks like we lost Seth from the feed here, unfortunately. Oh, I think he's back. There he is. Now he's back.
1: Yeah, I hit the wrong back button. That's funny. <laughs>
0: Well, All it's right, great me, to be back on the show, Seth.
1: So. Yeah, <laughs> it's great to be back. All right, uh, let me go to the next uh, story here. All right. Um, new Roadrunner Pro electric scooter <laughs> hits 50-plus mile-per-hour speeds while sitting down.
0: This one is kind of going to blow your mind, either in a good way or a bad way, depending how you feel about small, fast electric scooters. Uh, It comes from a company called Voro Motors. I think they're LA based, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, about a year and a half ago, they came out with the first Rogue Runner. It was already a little bit extra. It's a very small seated scooter, 14 inch wheels to sort of put the um, scale there for you. I described it as kind of like a battery with wheels bolted to it because it had, I think, like a 1500 watt hour battery. And it got about 36, 37 miles an hour. This is the new version. It's the Roadrunner Pro, and they've drastically increased the power. So before it had a 500-watt motor in the rear and a 350-watt motor in the front. Now it's got 2,000-watt motors in both the front and the rear. So you're looking at 4,000 watts of combined power, an even bigger battery than the already massive battery that was on there, and speeds of up to uh, 50 miles an hour, which is just kind of nuts for such a small vehicle. Now it is full suspension, which is good because the former model only had front suspension. And I think if you hit a pothole at 50, you would be like rocketed off the saddle if it didn't have rear suspension. So I think that's probably a a wise upgrade here. There are a few other small upgrades, uh, better braking, better lighting, a nicer uh, suspension fork up front, new wheels that are actually uh, sort of like automotive or moto style. So there's no uh, inner tube in there. They're actually wheels that split in the middle and they have like an automotive style bead. So um, I think that, you know, makes sense when you're doing uh, motor vehicle type speeds to have a, a higher quality wheel and tire there. Uh, it also makes changing uh, a flat tire a lot easier if you need to, you know, repair uh, the tire or swap it out for new tires. And so it's really just sort of like pushing a lot closer to a motorcycle level uh, piece of equipment as opposed to sort of a uh, hobby scooter or something you'd like order off of AliExpress kind of thing. This is definitely a much more refined version. The uh, underlying issue here, though, is sort of legality. And I think that really depends on A, where you live and B, how you're going to use the scooter. You'll notice that a lot of the product photos here are kind of like off-road or uh, private property looking uh, settings because... In many places, I don't think this is going to fit into um, either e-bike laws or scooter laws. It's obviously above the 28-mile-per-hour limit for e-bikes. There's not even pedals, so you can't even pretend it's an e-bike. And then when you get into uh, motorcycle or moped laws, at 50 miles an hour, I don't think it's going to fit into some of the the lower speed, like 30-mile-an-hour moped limits. So you're probably looking at something that would be considered a motorcycle in many areas. What that means is that you kind of take uh, a risk here if you're gonna be using it on road that you might have an issue with the police uh if you're using it off road of course you know it's it's up to you how you want to use it you know have some fun on the trails, private property that kind of thing but uh it's it's worth noting that you should probably look into your local laws and regulations to figure out how your state would treat a vehicle like this
1: yeah that's a it's a crazy bike I mean I think. You know, like many of our readers, I'm very excited about things like this, but also I know that there's a lot of opportunity for misuse. Um, you know, clearly riding something like this on a bike path, probably not your best bet. Um, you know, some jurisdictions, maybe the police are a little bit more lenient on electric, um, motorcycle, bike type things, um... But, you know, it, it looks like it could be roadworthy. I mean, it has lights, but I have to say like the, the ability to go 50 miles per hour with what are those 14 inch wheels?
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Uh, that seems dangerous. Like you hit a pothole and that's it. That's it, That's the end of you. Uh, so, you know, I kind of wondered, I think to myself when I see something like this, I'm like, well, maybe you should just make it 30 miles per hour top speed, but you know, gear it differently so that it goes zero to 30 in like you know two seconds which would also be dangerous (laughs) Uh, (laughs) ask simon cowell about that um but you know dangerous in a sort of safer way like in a top speed uh less in a top speed sort of way and more in acceleration sort of way um but at the same time i'm super intrigued by this thing because like i I definitely want to try like seeing what all this power in such a small package would go for. And then maybe this thing makes a lot of sense. Maybe like this is the future, like obviously not 50 miles per hour, but you know, if you can keep up with cars on 30 mile per hour roads, both in acceleration and top speed, um, you know, maybe this is a a great product. And then, you know, you think about, uh, what we just talked about the, the, uh, Ride by wire thing. It wouldn't be hard to, you know, throw one of those on there and and have a little electricity going back into the battery. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, I know this isn't realistic for most people, but it's just it's such a interesting thing. And it's what what's also interesting is like this is where we can go. Like, you know, when when we um, get the like hyper scorpions and we're like, wow, that's su- super powerful, thirty three miles per hour. Then you're like, oh, we can go much higher than that. We can, you know, <laughs> add add a front front wheel with just as much power as the back wheel. We can add more battery. All these things. So, really cool project. Probably not really good for practical use yet, but super interesting.
0: Yeah, I'm definitely excited all... about this. It shows you where where things can go.
1: Yeah. All right, I'll try not to hit the wrong back button here. <laughs> Uh, super cool. All right. Moving on. Also super cool. arkimoto they are reanimated saving the fast three wheeled electric vehicles from bankruptcy.
0: Just a month ago, we were talking about arkimoto but, um, for some fairly sad news that it looked like they were on the edge of bankruptcy. They were doing a last minute, uh, funding round where they sold like $12 million or they were trying to sell $12 million worth of stock at a significantly reduced price of $3 a share, which I think it had been trading at over $6 at that point. So, uh, you know, it tanked the stock and we thought this is probably the end of Archimodo. But amazingly, you know, sometimes these Hail Mary passes land and they they got it. So they raised the 12 million they needed. They were able to start back up their uh, factory. And now they say that next month they're going to have new Archimodos rolling out of the factory, not only new Archimodos, but upgraded. So the Um, steering is getting a significant upgrade, which is probably one of the major downsides of the vehicle is that at low speed, it really feels like you're um, driving a car without power steering because that's kind of what you're doing in effect. And so uh, if you're below like 15 miles an hour or so, so really like in a parking lot, you have to put some serious muscle into those bars to turn those big wheels and just like sort of just drag the rubber across the road and so uh, I don't know if they're putting in actual power steering or what they're doing, but they say their new vehicles rolling out next month are going to have a uh, 40% lower effort in uh, low speed steering. So i uh, love to see how they achieve that, but it sounds like it's going to be a big improvement for um, drivers that maybe don't have the upper body strength at low speeds to turn like a few hundred pounds of steering assembly, uh, which is exciting to see. Having tested them myself, that was one of the The big takeaways was that like at speed they work great but you know when you're maneuvering in a parking lot it really feels like you're like driving a tractor or something (laughs) trying to uh to roll around so not only is it exciting to see that they're going to be sticking around because it's a you know just a really fun company and a a really cool concept but it's cool to see that they're actively improving the design and i really hope that this is sort of a return to greatness for arkimoto because a few years ago it seemed like they were at the top of the world, they were talking about increasing production, being able to drop the price from twenty thousand to twelve thousand with the you know mass production. And so, if they can still make that happen, if this is enough money to get them um, back rolling and, and growing at the point they need, then I could see a market for these things at that lower price. You know, twenty thousand is is tough. Twelve thousand starts to be like you know, yeah, people can see spending some money on a fun vehicle like that. Uh, I don't know. What do you think, Seth?
1: Yeah, I I had the same experience. I really loved uh, riding around in these things. They seemed like, you know, super over-engineered, you know, trike motorcycles. Um, But, you know, they have great stability. They're fun to drive. They're covered from the rain if you want to be in some, you know, some of the models. Like, it hits a lot of, like, it's fun. Like, they're just, like, going from point A to point B is a lot more fun in one of these than it is in a car. However, you know, these are not uh, primary vehicles probably for a lot of people. Um, when you look at them, you're kind of like, what is that like? It's very long. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's got four seats. It's, it's a, uh, it's a big vehicle for, you know, mobility things. So I think a lot of people who, you know, you can't get so many butts and seats on this. Um, you know, they kind of wonder like, where, where does this fit in my life? So, you know, if Arkimoto can get enough people to actually get on these things and give them a try, and like it, if it makes sense, um, you know, in their their world as a either a secondary vehicle or a primary vehicle, um, then I think they have a shot. Um, it it is, I my understanding is that they're making these now in Europe versus Oregon.
0: Uh, oh, I didn't actually see see that about Europe. I'll have to look that up. That, that's interesting
1: yeah I saw something about about uh, being built there um I really hope that you know they they can get off the ground and and kind of uh get these to scale I mean as you said you know a twelve thousand dollar fun vehicle versus a twenty thousand dollar one is a big difference and um you know it's one of those things where like a lot of the people that buy vehicles know somebody who has one so if they can get these out into the world a little bit and you have more you see them on the road and you say "Oh what what the heck is that thing?" or you know your your brother-in-law got one and it's really fun and you want to get one they have to have like they have to hit that level before something like this uh, kind of takes off, so hopefully they can get to that level
0: yeah i I'm team Arkimoto. I want to see them succeed same. All right. And I think we have lost Seth again, probably a uh, a back button issue here. So I'm sure he'll be joining us again in a few seconds. Yep, here he is. That's,
1: that's, a, that's not annoying, is it? All <laughs> right. Sorry, guys. The back button is so enticing over there. All right. So let's get out of that. Move back to that page. And...
0: With The comedic rule of threes—you've got one more coming, I think.
1: All right. Tracker unveils new 60 mile per hour—sorry, 60 mile range electric UTV with dumping bed.
0: Ooh, 60 miles an hour? I don't know if that would be cool. <laughs> you get catapulted into the roof of this thing, I think. Yeah. So this is a uh, an electric UTV. Um, basically, it's like a um, sort of a, a John Deere Gator or like a, a very um, lower lower power uh, Polaris Ranger type of vehicle. You know, this is not a go-kart. It's for people that do work around ranches, farms, that sort of thing. And the Tracker Aux EV is Tracker's newest model. They have a lot of gas-powered versions, but this is a pretty nice stab at an electric UTV. It's not terribly overpowered. It's about uh, 11 kilowatts or 15 horsepower. So, um, you know, it's not going to replace something crazy like a, a Polaris Ranger Kinetic. But it's got some pretty significant hauling and towing capacity. Uh, I think the uh, hauling was like uh, 1,200 pounds, if I'm not mistaken, And um, the towing was, I think, a bit higher than that even. Uh, So this is an actual work vehicle. You know, it's not a golf cart, even though it kind of looks like it. This thing is designed to really do some serious uh, around-the-farm type of work. So, uh, But the interesting thing is that it's actually priced pretty... Reasonably, you know, a new golf cart these days costs around ten thousand dollars, and this one is thirteen thousand. So, it's not as expensive as, as some of these more, um, you know, high-priced John Deere versions, that sort of thing. But it still has some pretty good utility, especially for people that have like a hobby farm or want to take it, you know, hunting, outdoorsman, that sort of thing. Where, uh, you know, you don't have the the funds that like a big farming operation would have to invest in something more serious, but you still need a vehicle that can. Um, do some hauling, do some towing, that sort of thing. A dumping bed, so you know, really useful. But you still want to get electric, and you don't want to pay for those crazy, uh, you know, uh, early adopter Polaris ones that cost like twenty-five, thirty thousand dollars. So I'm excited to see these new companies coming in that offer the electric drive. They can get you like a clean, silent electric UTV, but not at crazy prices. I think thirteen thousand dollars is entirely reasonable, especially considering the the price of you know like a uh, even a Polaris gem kind of thing that—I guess it's not Polaris anymore—a Wave gem um, that costs twenty thousand dollars and certainly can't haul or tow or do the kind of things that, that this can. So to me, this is really exciting, uh, and it just looks like fun too. I mean, uh, wouldn't you just want to like ride around in this stuff?
1: Yeah, and I, I have to emph- emphasize uh, the price on this, as you did. Um, that's what's kind of killing it. Um, you know, the player stuff is really cool. The gem stuff is really cool, but their prices are, you know, they, something like this is like 20,000 bucks. And as we said, with the Arkhamoto, the difference between $12,000 and $20,000 is a big deal. And uh, at, at, you know, this is $13,000. Um, this is going to ma- be, you know, available to a lot more people. Um, and, you know, this is, Probably a lot better than the, you know, the Alibaba stuff that uh, we we love on on Saturday mornings. But, um, you know, I, I feel like this is going to be a product that actually, you know, hits home a lot more. Um, and, and maybe, you know, if we're lucky, um, Polaris and Gem and, and John Deere and everybody else see this and say, oh, you know, we could probably get it to twelve thousand dollars if we made a whole lot more of them maybe we should do something like that so I think this is good in a lot of ways and and anything that like I'm excited to like try uh i think can be quite popular and this is definitely one of those things
0: yeah we gotta get one on your property soon
1: yep all right let's hit the last story if my back button works here all right all right this these are my favorite i actually bought a thousand dollar electric boat from China here's what showed up
0: this has been such a fun adventure. So uh, you guys might be familiar with my uh, awesomely weird Alibaba electric vehicle of the week column. Like Seth said, it's each Saturday morning I find and ride up a just sort of like weird but fun electric vehicle on China's largest online shopping portal. And this is one that I found a while ago. And then over time it was just like, I think I might actually need to get that. You know, a thousand dollar boat, a five seater. Uh, it just looked like so much fun. My parents have a one acre pond on their uh, rural property but uh here in florida there's a lot of nice little waterways that lead out to to small and and larger rivers so i was like all right this thing could get some serious use so i bit the bullet sent a thousand and eighty dollars to china for the boat Um, but then ironically the shipping cost uh twice what the boat cost so i had to pay about two thousand dollars to get it freighted on a um container ship to Florida. Um, then I had to pay some guy with a truck and a trailer to pick it up at Miami Port and bring it to my parents' place. So all in closer to $5,000 in all the costs, uh, only about a thousand of which actually went towards the factory that, that made it. But I got to say in the end, it's actually a fun little boat. And it's about half the cost of uh, any other electric boat I could find in the US. And even you know, the $10,000 ones I could find were like two seaters. So um you know for a what was supposed to be a 14 foot boat when i actually got it and measured it it's 13 foot 1 so i guess uh you know like a lot of men we round up so, <laughs> so it turns into a 14 foot boat um but it's surprisingly stable i mean it's got um sort of two pontoons uh sort of under it it's not a pontoon boat but it's set up almost that way like a channel down the middle um almost like a catamaran so it's really stable um it's not super powerful is the main downside it's a 500 watt motor that, uh, it's actually pulling about uh, 750 Watts peak, but it's got a really sort of shoddy propeller on it. They just sort of made their own propeller by welding up some eighth inch, um, plate onto uh, a, looks like a piece of pipe. And like, it certainly works, you know, like we motor around the pond, but I don't think we're doing faster than about like two, two and a half knots because it's, it's just not very efficient. And also the the weight distribution is not great. The, uh, the top, maybe like 20% of the propeller is actually out of the water. So if you see in the picture there, it's, there's a lot of like foam and getting some serious cavitation from the propeller. So, you know, it's, it's losing a ton of efficiency and, and I'm going to do some work on it to see if I can get more weight in the rear, uh, maybe push the batteries uh, a lot further back and get the propeller down in the water. I think if I can get it all the way in the water, I might be able to get up to maybe like three or four knots. And then I'm going to try a motor swap and basically I have a lot of of sort of customization uh, options on it that I have planned. But for like the base uh, foundation here to get a actual fiberglass boat for, um, I mean, to buy it for a thousand, but even like to get it into your lake for 5000, including the electric drive and everything is is kind of crazy. Oh, and then, so it reminds me from this picture. I actually got uh, several hundred dollars worth of plywood for free from the crate that it came in. Uh, if you guys check <laughs> plywood prices recently, I think it's like $300 worth of plywood. So, uh, you know, take that off the $1,000 right there.
1: Yeah, especially if you need the the plywood. All right, so we got to know, like, uh, we got solar panels going up top. What's what's happening in there?
0: What's the part yeah, the plans? absolutely. Um, so I'm going to do solar on top, probably about four to 500 watts, depending how much I can fit, um, which because the current motor is a 500 watt motor would probably give it close to infinite range while the sun is out. Um, it's it's one of many upgrades I want to do on this thing, but that seems like a gimme, you know, like with an electric boat with a big canopy on it already, it's a shame to just have like wasted sun hitting the top.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm actually kind of surprised it doesn't like come at least as an option. Because it seems like it's built for it. Yeah. Um,
0: I think that, you know, they don't want to overly complicate the, the design here. It's about as simple as it could be for a boat. Um, and then also I'd be worried about shipping a big solar panel like that. I mean, they did a really good job packaging it. I have to say, like, the um, the cage that it was shipped in, I think, is welded nicer than the frame on my Alibaba truck. So, like, they did a really good job packaging <laughs> this thing. But... Still, I don't know about shipping like a 500 watt solar panel this way. I'd be worried about it.
1: That's a good point. Yeah, and you could probably just go on the open market and, and find something, you know, pretty comparable. Yeah. Um, so, in terms of motor and propeller, are you looking into like, you know, first party stuff, Minn Kota? We've seen uh, you posted about other uh, electric motor outfits out there, or are you going to stick with this drivetrain?
0: So I'm I'm really conflicted here. Part of me wants to optimize the drivetrain as well as I can to see like, you know, how good of a boat I can turn it into with what it came with. Uh, and I might start that way just to see, you know, what I can get out of it. But eventually I would like to replace the motor. And then I have to decide whether I want to keep it an inboard, which it is now with what looks like sort of a washing machine motor uh, under the, the rear seats there. Mm-hmm. Or if I want to get like one of those Minn Kota trolling motors and, and create like an outboard on the back, and so I'm not I'm not sure which way I want to go. I like that it's an inboard because like it keeps it nice and neat looking. You don't see a big motor yeah. back there. But um, the other option that uh, was an idea my dad had was actually to um, so replace the like get rid of the motor inside altogether, and then take like a minco to trolling motor and actually put it on the rudder shaft so it's under oh. the water, and then instead of turning the rudder. I would be turning the the whole motor and basically yeah. getting propulsion or getting uh, steering that way, which would be kind of neat.
1: That's pretty cool. Yeah. I like that idea too.
0: Yeah. I'm just um, not sure how strong the rudder shaft is. Like if it can support a motor pushing on it,
1: so right.
0: I have to play with it.
1: Yeah. So many options. Yeah. And it, I'm, I'm kind of shocked that nobody's really kind of running with this kind of idea of a, you know, low power, efficient, electric boat with a solar canopy like it kind of feels like at, you know the idea whose time has come but I guess just nobody really wants to put it all out there right now I guess
0: yeah and it would make so much sense especially there, there are so many um, lakes now in communities that are electric only or um, you know just non gas you can have like paddle boats um, canoes or electric boats because they don't want to have you know oil leaking into the lake and that sort of thing and so in those areas these would be great, and like you said, with a solar panel, I mean, you could easily have um, three thousand watt hours of battery in here. Uh, that's what it calls for. It calls for, uh, let's see, twenty-four volt, uh, one hundred, uh, yeah, one hundred amp hours. So it's like two and a half kilowatt hours of battery. So if you had five hundred watt or uh, five hundred watts of solar panels in five or six hours of sun, you could completely charge it. So you'd basically never need to plug this boat in if you kept it in a lake and you had solar on it. You could just every day recharge the battery from the sun.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it seems like almost too good to be true. I, uh, I'm, you know, a little bit shocked that you have to build these things at this point, or you know, import them from China. Uh, kind of a shame, almost.
0: Yeah, I, I hope that someone like picks this up and says, "All right, we need to find like a simple, like plastic, maybe boat hole, um, solar panels, trolling motor, slap it together, and you've got like an American-made, uh, electric boat for for fairly." cheap you know you don't need a big motor on these things if they're designed for a lake i'm definitely not putting this in the river yet it's just not powerful enough but as a lake boat right. like this it's perfectly fine i mean it's like a little leisure craft
1: yeah uh yeah maybe minn Kota or or one of the other companies uh that already do you know half of this stuff can uh get around to doing the other half or team up with another company to do, do the other half hopefully cool um that is all the stories today let me have a look i know carl in san diego is quite verbose in the comments let's see if uh anything here uh carl says stoked to see tracks long john back cargo bike not sure they're selling it in the usa yet though and um i didn't know that name but uh Bafang programming has always used a progressively higher percentage of the current for progressively higher assist levels by default, and then you can tune it. Surprise, you said this seems unique. Um, I think, is is electric using Bafang motors?
0: I'm not sure, but I've, I've been on so many Bafangs that seem to rocket you up to like a set speed limit, so I'm, I'm surprised to see that. Uh, maybe it's an option that some OEMs choose to use the uh, Bafangs sort of like watt based pedal assist and some prefer speed based, but I've definitely been on the things that don't feel as uh, comfortable to pedal at slower speeds that really give you that like big push right at the beginning. So uh, I'll have to look into that more. Maybe it's, it's an option that, that OEMs can choose.
1: All right. Uh, moving on. Uh, Massage Pis- Wow. Need to deploy some vowels over there. Uh, anyone knows whatever happened to Arkimoto's mean lean machine? They were, show, they were to show the production version by the end of 2022 and then nothing happened. Should we say RIP to MLM?
0: I'm not sure that it's dead yet. Uh, I think they had more pressing concerns on saving the company. But um, yep. I know they brought a uh, fairly complete prototype to Micromobility America last September. Um, so, you know, they've made progress on it. I just think that the project has stalled a bit. So I wouldn't say that it's dead. I would say it was on, on a break, so to say.
1: All right. Uh, Trek's website says the Fetch 4 Plus is 75 kilos, which would be 165 pounds. That can't be right. That seems like a lot. I don't know. I mean, that there's a lot of bike there.
0: Yeah, I mean, that that does seem like a lot, but... Uh, I mean, depending what that um, like cargo tub is made out of, that could be 20, 30 pounds right there.
1: Yeah, maybe they're using just like a, an old bathtub or something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, urban, urban, you know, by comparison, the Urban Arrow is 112 pounds and the recent Mueller load starts at 82 pounds without the box. Obviously, the box is quite heavy. Uh, we'll check into that. Uh, I have a feeling that, that weight is not a misprint it sounds like um perhaps they've just got a lot a lot more uh uh bike uh in that particular model for, for heavy calling
0: maybe they left one of the that. kids in the front box when they weighed it
1: yeah you know you left you leave a kid in there and all of a sudden you're at 150 pounds all right <laughs> uh, that's all the all the comments uh you want to read us out
0: Sure thing. So thank you everyone for tuning in with us and we'll be back in another two weeks for another episode of the Wheelie Podcast. We'll see you next time everyone.